Oh, hi, y'all. It's Wednesday, and we have a great show for you. We'll be talking about the U.S. national women's soccer team. Then I'm sitting down with the stars of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and the show Younger. So cute. So you sit right there, and we're going to stay right here for a second and grab a quick tan. So excuse us for one moment. Don't mind if we do. Mm. Morning Twitter. I'm Zach Stafford. She's Alex Burke, and it's Wednesday, and you are watching AM to DM. Well, I'm feeling a little tired from all that vitamin B. I can't Ooh, even say my vitamin words. D, yeah. Vitamin D or yeah. B? Yeah, D. D. You're soaking up the the sun rays. That is soaking D. up the sun. Vitamin D. D. Yeah. <clears throat> Fascinating. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, let's get into it. Let's get into it. <laughs> Natasha Leone tweeted this video of herself saying, "Season two with the caption Russian doll." Hmm. The show's account tweeted, "It seems only natural to come back with." <clears throat> clear throat. Gotta get up, gotta get out, gotta get up, get home before the morning comes. I don't know what this means, and that's why I'm tripping over it. Okay, let me explain Please to you. Please do. That song is the song that would play on this show whenever she would be reincarnated in the bathroom. Oh. So she would die. Yes, she would yes, yes. Come yes, to yes. life again, God, washing her face in a bathroom at her, yes, at her 36th day. birthday party. And so actually, her posting that whole video of herself was in reference to that. Oh, got it. There you go. Got it. Okay, yeah. well, good for her. I, I mean, I like the show. I'm not in love with the show, obviously. I don't know its signature song. But I'm, I'm happy she's getting that check. Yeah. I'm excited for season two, but I will say it got me thinking about uh, shows that were so good the first mm -hmm. time around that you were like, do we really mm, need another yes. season? Because I feel like the first season of Russian Doll just wrapped up so nicely. Yeah. Like, we got through the full story, the full cycle. There was this nice resolution. And yes. so now, as much as I enjoy the show, I worry, you know, is it doing itself a disservice yeah. by having another season? Because so. they can do this thing, you know, like, one of the shows I think a lot about that went aw awry was Sh Shonda Rhimes's, uh not making a murder, but it's Grey's Anatomy? Scandal. scandal. That's what it was, Scandal. So Scandal just got on this ride that was like amazing and crazy and here, left, and right, and there. And I was like, this needs to end soon, and it didn't. I mean, the final resolution of the series was great, but it was a show that I was like, oh, I don't, I don't need this. You're like, eh, I don't know where I this is going. This. Exactly. So let's take it to the timeline. Are there any shows that you think should have ended after one season? Tweet us using the hashtag AM2. Westworld. Oh, is that yours? You know, I have to say, I think that it might be just because, again, things get really crazy after mm -hmm. a while. Westworld yep. already had this beautifully complicated uh, plot to it, and I would have been okay ending with quite a lot of mystery and hunger for more, mm. and leaving it on that note. I support so, you on that. I am yes. excited for Lena Waithe to be on this new season. Indeed, indeed. Ah, we yes. got you, girl. So the U.S. women's national soccer team dominated their first World Cup game against Thailand, winning 13 to nothing. Matteo Benetti tweeted, Imagine waiting all these years, maybe your entire life, to score a goal in the World Cup as a team player who has already had to deal with so much BS regarding wildly unfair pay and then being demonized for showing human emotion by the Twitter outrage machine. Lindsay Parks Piper tweeted, the U.S. women's national team success should speak for itself when it comes to equality. Sadly, it does not. Lindsay wrote about the team's fight for equal pay in the Washington Post and joins us now. Good morning. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us. And I have to say, I was fed up by the conversation on Twitter yesterday critiquing that the team was doing too well, especially against the backdrop of this story. So walk us back. Why did members of the team file a lawsuit over gender discrimination in March? 
Sure. So the gender discrimination lawsuit, it actually has a longer history than that. This team has been very active since its formation. But this specific, this specific equal pay issue started in 2016 when five members of the team filed with the Equal Employment Opportunities Commission. And fast forward to March 2019, they got the rights to sue. And so they filed this lawsuit, essentially arguing that while they have been far far more successful than the men's national team, they're paid far, far less. And their successes exceed the men's tremendously on this front. Mm, And yet they're still paid about 38% less than, sorry, they're paid 38% of what the men are paid. Wow, 38%. 38%. Okay, is there an exact number or like a ballpark? Is that like 38% of a million? Do you have anything to note about that? Uh, The men, when they compare the similarly situated players, the female athletes can earn about 99,000 in salary, whereas the men are about 247, 250. Uh, And that's the average for the men, the peak for the women. So if you actually compare... The highest to the lowest, it's even more of a discrepancy. I am so fed up. But you did mention that there's actually a history uh, that this goes back. Um, So there are other discriminatory practices in addition to this pay gap. Uh, What are some of those? Sure. And it's, it's been essentially since the formation. It is pretty fitting that some people have suggested that the U.S. Soccer Federation only started the women's national team out of a threat of a lawsuit following on the tails of Title IX that a member said, we need to start a women's program or else we are going to sue. And the U.S. women's national team debuted in 1985. They didn't receive very much money, $10 a day in meals. They had to use equipment handed down by other men's teams. It was a haphazard team that was thrown together just for this one tournament in 1985. And then when FIFA joins into women's soccer for the 1991, what has now been retroactively called the World Cup, it was actually called the M&M's Cup because FIFA did not want its name attached to the tournament in case it was unsuccessful. In this M&M's Cup, FIFA did not think women would be able to run the full length of the field for the full time. So they shortened the game to 80 minutes. So that's in the early phase phases. And then you continue after the women have been successful. They win the 1991 M&M's Cup. They win the 1999 World Cup where Brandi Chastain famously rips off her jersey. They've continued to push back against U.S. soccer for equal pay, for discriminatory treatment. In the 1996 Olympics, the men were guaranteed bonuses for winning gold, silver, and bronze, whereas the women would only get money if they won the gold medal. So there is just a long history of gender inequality in soccer. And the U.S. Women's National Team has continuously fought against that mistreatment. Uh, okay, that is a lot, and thank you for walking us through all that. But something, you know, as a male-identified person I saw yesterday was that the women just seemed not to be able to win at any moment on Twitter. And one of the things was they should have gone nicer or been nicer to the Thailand team because they kept scoring goals. What's your reaction to that treatment? That really bothered me as well. In watching the game, I was so excited and so happy for these women who have trained and worked so hard for so many years and then to get raked through the mud because they're scoring too much, they're playing too hard, they're celebrating too often. I don't think that's something that you would see if the U.S. men's national team trounced a team in that fashion. 
I think it's a little bit of this paternalistic view that we have of women's sports. And it's the kind of poor Thailand. How could we do this to them? This is the elite of the elite competitions. And these women have the right to go out there and perform their best and score goals and celebrate. This is not Little League. The point of this sport is to win. You know, after this conversation, if smoke could come out of my ears right now, I mean, it would be billowing all over this set. But Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. While Pride Month is usually a month-long celebration, June 12th has become a day during this month for sadness as we reflect. Louis Staples tweeted, Three years ago, these 49 people had their lives stolen from them as they danced on a Saturday night at Pulse Nightclub in Florida. I'll never forget waking up to that news. I can't say our community feels any safer today, but whatever happens, we'll face it together. Earlier this week, Florida lawmakers introduced new legislation to finally create a memorial to honor these victims. HuffPost tweeted, three members of Congress representing Florida introduced legislation that would designate Orlando's Pulse nightclub as a federal landmark to honor the 49 people killed in the deadliest act of violence against the LGBTQ community in U.S. history. Mm. Joining us this morning is Pulse nightclub survivor and activist Brandon Wolf. Good morning, Brandon. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Today marks the three-year anniversary. What are you thinking about today? Well, I'm always thinking about uh, the two best friends that I went to Pulse with that night, uh, Drew and Juan. They kind of guide everything that I do every day. And so for me, June 12th has become a moment of reflection where I think about them. I think about the great times we had together, all the road trips and vacations. But I also think about uh, their their legacies and their memories and, and whether or not I'm truly making them proud and honoring them with action. So they're on my mind heavy today. Uh, that is extremely moving, an extremely moving way of thinking uh, about this day. Um, I do want to step back a little bit uh, into this larger conversation about making Pulse a federal landmark. Um, is that important to you? Do you really want to see that happen? Yeah, it should be important to everybody, right? I think if we just look at Pulse, um, you know, in the landscape, right, it's the, the deadliest attack on the LGBTQ community in this nation's history. It is the largest terror attack on U.S. soil since 9-11. Um, it was also at the time the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. So I think it should be paramount to everyone that we do those victims who lost their lives that night, 49 people who should be here with us today. We should not be having a memorial on June 12th. They should be celebrating Pride Month with us. But instead, they're not here. And so the best way that we can honor them is not with empty words or with, or with platitudes, but rather with action. And, and one of those actions we can take is by making that site really mean something. Um, I, I think it means something here in Orlando. I think it means something to the LGBTQ community, but making it a national memorial says to the world that this truly is a space we can all come to grieve and mourn and remember. Mm, a space to grieve and commemorate. I know that Parkland is not too far from Orlando, and the state has approved budgets to build a monument there, but Pulse has seen quite a battle in the state legislature. What are your thoughts to, to experiencing that from your perspective as a Florida citizen and as a survivor of Pulse Nightclub? Yeah, it's hard. And I think, you know, namely as an LGBTQ citizen of Florida, an LGBTQ person of color, uh, it's particularly offensive because nothing happened after Pulse. We know that. Um, we went, you know, a year without hearing anything. We, we asked for the same kind of legislative changes. Uh, there were sit-ins in Congress. Uh, we asked for funding. We asked for a day of silence. We asked for all of these things that, that you know, other folks in our, in our Floridian community 
uh, received and we didn't get any of that. And so we have to ask the question, I had to ask the question, was it because we were too brown? Was it because we were too gay? Um, I don't know what the answer to that is. I'm really proud of the legislature for taking some steps. I know a half a million dollars was approved by um, the Florida legislature just waiting to be signed by the governor. Um, that's a big step forward. It's, it's momentous. I know a national memorial site will be momentous, but I think we can't let it be lost that this was largely an attack on LGBTQ people of color. Uh, and how that framed what happened next, I think is really important. We need to continue to ask those questions. You make that incredibly important point that this was largely an attack on LGBTQ people of color. Do you feel like the rest of the LGBTQ community has really gotten behind uh, Pulse survivors to end gun violence? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, a lot of times people ask me, when is real change coming, right? And I point to things happening all across the country to say real change has already arrived, whether people were ready for it or not. Um, if you remember in the 2018 midterms, people in the exit polls said that gun safety legislation was a top priority, a top issue for them. 40 NRA-backed candidates were defeated that year in the midterms. Um, you've seen in Florida specifically the first gun safety legislation in over 20 years. And that's not just because of Parkland, right? That's largely because Florida has been fairly or unfairly named the gunshine state. Uh, and so when people finally feel that that gun violence has hit their backyards, you know, LGBTQ people, uh, even people that are not LGBTQ, just our allies, really felt personally impacted by Pulse. And that's caused a shift, I think, in the conversation in this country. So I've felt the momentum in the last year or two that I have not, I don't think, ever felt in my life. I was fairly complacent before Pulse happened, um, but I'm definitely highly engaged now, and I feel like a lot of people are there with me. Mm. Brandon, three years ago, it was the 2016 election cycle. Hillary Clinton did visit Pulse nightclub when it happened shortly afterwards, but President Donald Trump did not pay much attention to the shooting uh, in a physical sense. He will be visiting Orlando this week to relaunch his campaign. Any reactions to that, and are you planning anything to greet the president, per se? Yeah, I think it's important to call out that Donald Trump was not indifferent at the time of Pulse. He was actually tweeting congratulating himself that he had fairly predicted that something like this would happen. So um, it wasn't just an indifferent response. It was actually a vile, repulsive response um, that I think people should continue to be reminded of. Um, but in response to Trump coming, it, it, it can't be lost on us, right, that we're going to be less than a week out from memorializing 49 people who should be here with us today. And the president is going to stroll into downtown Orlando and re, you know, announce his re-election campaign um, on the backs of the communities that he has punished over the last few years. This is a transphobic administration. This is a homophobic administration. And he's going to waltz into a community that's still mourning the loss of largely LGBTQ people of color and announce his re-election campaign. Um, I can't give away too many details, but uh, we do have a Facebook event up. We are planning a little street party down the street from uh, from where Donald Trump will be announcing his reelection campaign. I think that in the aftermath of Pulse, Orlando really set a tone for how we can combat the kind of division and hatred that this administration is peddling. And that's with unity. It's with diversity and it's with love. So that's what we'll put on display. Would you want President Trump to visit the Pulse site? Uh, I don't think that's appropriate. And I don't think people here want him to visit the Pulse site. Um, the Pulse site is really special to us. It's sacred to us. Um, someone going there for a photo op, which he's known to do, would be totally inappropriate, and I certainly hope he doesn't do that. Mm. 
Mm. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for spending this day with us, and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Later in the show, Alex is sitting down with the stars of Younger and the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But up next, we're going to take it take a minute for some levity because it's time for Fire Tweets. Stay tuned. Welcome back. It is time for Fire Tweets. I love this. Thank you. This like a, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I give it a boom clack. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. Let's get into it. Let's do it. 1984's George Horwell, you tweeted, the girl in my third grade class that told everyone she was part horse and ate grass at recess is engaged. And I've been ghosted four times in the last month. Much to think about. You know what? I relate to this so much because every person that bullied me is now married and some of them are even gay now and bullied me for being gay. So you know what? We all can't win. Those people sometimes have better lives than us, even when eating grass. Let me say this. Not all marriages are happy marriages. So, you know. That's that on that, America. Not all marriages are happy marriages. (laughs) Alex Sexton, (laughs) you tweeted. My favorite Instagram feature is how every time I open the app, I see a photo or video that looks interesting, and then the entire application refreshes, and it's gone forever. (laughs) I feel victimized when this happens. Does this happen to you frequently? It does happen to me, and as someone who also falls prey to targeted advertisements, sometimes I'll see something that I, like, maybe want to buy. I'll make a mental note. Mm -hmm. I'll come back to Instagram later on, and it's gone. Mm. So... It's, I, whenever that happens, you, I'm like, ooh, who was that person? Was it this Instagram thought or this one? And you go on a search thing, you <laughs> never you know, find yeah, You can just whisper track. in your phone, though, if it's an ad, and be like, Captain, and it will come back. I will definitely try that next try time it, because, you know, you know they're listening. <laughs> the Calmness Unto Death tweeted, Piano is the easiest instrument. You just press buttons on it, and it makes the noise for you. It's just gaming. <laughs> So I saw the Elton John film this weekend, uh, Rocket Man, and this is not a spoiler Twitter, don't freak out, but he sits down and just can play the piano. And his family's like, oh, we should put him <laughs> in lessons. And I'm like, girl, no, you already had him in lessons. Don't play this game with me. So no, it may make noise, but it's not musical. Well, according to this tweet, it's just do, 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 it's do, 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 I'm playing the piano case, right I'd here. I'd be Mozart, okay? <laughs> Mozart, Mozart, Mozart. Big Noah, you tweeted. <laughs> me acting fake mad when my plans got canceled, even though I wasn't pulling up anyways. I love it. It's like, I, damn it! You have wasn't the, gonna go. The performativity of like, oh, I'm so sad, and you oh. haven't even gotten dressed yet. No. <laughs> it's like sitting in your PJs, like, mm, this ice cream is really delicious, and I don't have to leave my bed. It's like you're honestly just playing a game of chicken with the other person because you're like, I'm gonna wait on my couch until yeah. the last possible second. Will they cancel these plans? Yeah. Will they cancel? And they do, and they you do. get to be joyful about and it. And then you get to be joyful. I love a joyful, joyful moment. All right, you ready for the tweet of the day? Let's do it. Tweet of the day comes from Rapidly. The, it's only $5, why not buy it mentality has probably cost me like $15,000 at this point in my life. <laughs> it me. <laughs> like For when real. I walk through Ikea and you're like, yes, I need a lint roller. Yes, I need hangers. Yes, I need the cinnamon bun case. That's delicious. And you get to the register and they're like, $325. Yeah. American dollars, not Swedish dollars. Exactly. <laughs> like, American. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, this happens to me all the time at CVS as well. Oh, really? Like a little something here, a little something here, Dwayne Reed. And then like I've spent hundreds of dollars on stuff that I don't even care about or need so, to have or I'll throw away in a month. So, so the takeaway here, America, is $5 <laughs> can send you into bankruptcy. If there you, you go. Enough. There you go. That. Venmo, check your Venmo account. <laughs> Coming up, Alex will be sitting down with Miriam Shore and Peter Herman Wait. from our favorite show, Younger. So excited. But up next, we're talking about Instagram influencers. See, see you then, influencer. See you then. See you then. See you then. See you then. <laughs>
I just love those emojis. It's us. It's us. It's That's us. Attitudes. Well, today we're debuting a new segment from A, Alex, to Z, Zach. Okay, See what we did there? Okay, Margaret. Where we break down stories from the timeline. So let's get started. I'm so ready. Also, my, I want to make that avatar, my avatar. That yeah. Mm, hey, cutie. <laughs> Twitter users, you have, have discovered that influencers have found a new destination to create their content, a nuclear blast site. Bruno Zupin tweeted, Meanwhile, in Chernobyl, Instagram influencers flocking to the site of the disaster. Atlantic writer Taylor Lorenz pointed out that not all accounts Bruno noted are actual influencers. She tweeted, This tweet is rude and stupid. Only two of these people are even influencers. Others are regular people. One barely has 200 followers. You cropped out the captions, some explicitly talking about the tragedy, and selected one image from a whole carousel where a girl included herself in the pic. She continued, Correction, only one of these people is an actual influencer. The rest have, like, no followers. This tweet above is just baiting people and putting a totally misleading framing on things to play into people's assumptions about influencers. Mm. However, influencer or not, the surge of interest caught the attention of Craig Mazin, who created the HBO series about Chernobyl. He tweeted, It's wonderful that Chernobyl on HBO has inspired a wave of tourism to the zone of exclusion. But yes, I've seen the photos going around. If you visit, please remember that a terrible tragedy occurred there. Comport yourselves with respect for all who suffered and sacrificed. So it's a lot going on here. A lot going on. You know, it's, I love, I love the Lorenzo note of, you know, they're not all influencers, but they are mimicking influencers. They've learned how to take these poses and they're doing a thought squat, you know, next to where people died. Exactly. That's, Right. This is a site where there was a tragedy that happened in 1986. Thousands of people died as a result. And so it feels a little icky or insensitive at the very least that there are now people going and using this to make nice photos to ostensibly get attention on social media accounts. And I think it's like, you know, we've all visited terrible places. You know, there's a lot of historical sites that terrible things have happened, especially in America. And we've taken photos there. But I think I had my mother there or family members to say, you know, this is how you act when you are visiting like a plantation or Chernobyl. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a joyful experience. You need to be respectful to the space and think about how you're showing up. And I think these photos are challenging us and thinking like, how are people showing up to these historic sites for likes? They're competing for likes. Precisely. And it gets at this question that, you know, we're kind of in this uncharted age where now, you know, these photos are instantly public. People Mm -hmm. can instantly comment on them. They become uh, public fodder like they are now on Twitter. And, you know, maybe we need to think a little bit more about some of the social norms that we have around these photos. Um, You know, I do want to mention, you said your mom would go with you Mm -hmm. to these historic sites. Um, I do want to say, you know, sometimes teenagers don't make the best choices for themselves because they may not know or may not have the kind of education they should to consider the sensitivity of these photos. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe that's something that we need to talk about. For sure. And a conversation I saw happening in Los Angeles while I was there is that in March, there was this big thing called the bloom. A bunch of flowers blossomed in the small town outside of Los Angeles. And one influencer showed up, she had 400,000 followers, and it attracted 100,000 people that weekend to take photos. And it's created a lot of damage to a natural environment, and the city is spiraling on how to, you know, fix what happened. So, you know, I think we're needing to have more conversations about this, about, like, what is, uh, what's the power of an influencer, what impact they're having, and who should be held accountable, if anyone. Because, you know, destroying plants or, you know, disrespecting history is, is, har- is harmful to the planet or to people's memories. Yeah, and sometimes I wonder what exactly is going through someone's mind when they're visiting these historical sites. Um, I'm thinking of how, you know, Auschwitz, the concentration camp, Mm. had to uh, tweet out uh, asking people to stop taking photos there because they were having this similar issue. And we've even seen people uh, put themselves in harm's way 
when they're yeah. trying to take these photos. Yeah, so. on the Grand Canyon, <laughs> Yosemite with the, the glaciers, or not the glaciers, those geysers. So geysers. lots of it. So be careful with the be content. Careful. Let's take it to the timeline though. Where's the most ridiculous place you've seen someone take a photo? Hashtag aim to DM. Up next, Alex sits down with the stars of Younger. Stick around. Ooh, can't wait. sit down and I'm joined by Miriam Shore and Peter Herman, two of the stars of the show Younger. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having thanks, us. Thanks We're already having fantastic. such a good time it's out here. the best time ever. Yes. Well, uh, something else that seems like the best time ever, please bear with my segue, is that uh, TV Land dropped a little teaser for the new, the new season and there is a scene in which you are at Marie's Crisis singing Nine to Five what? with uh, yes, it on Liza and Kelsey. Sublime. Yes, how did that come about? Um, Darren Starr is obsessed <laughs> with Marie's Crisis and rightly so and if you've never been to Marie's Crisis, go. So it's this tiny little bar in the West Village where you, you sing show tunes with a live pianist and everybody sings and it, it, it has become part of the story that my character, Diana Trout, that's like her go-to mm-hmm. to uh, de-stress and to... Collect herself. Be herself, too. Be herself. Yeah. yeah, very true. And, um, and so uh, in the episode, there's, uh, there's a lot of drama about at work, and she goes to uh, Marie's Crisis, and they find her there, and they... It's, it's, a, it's the moment where they kind of all come together as a unit, uh, and they start it by singing... And Dolly Parton. Yeah, that solves the world's problems. I, we I can believe. get all the leaders <laughs> together <laughs> to channel their inner Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda. I think the world would be a better place. I mean, I know the world because nothing else is working. So nothing I mean, else. Like, it's not as well, right? It's right? just get. Con- you know what, Dolly? Go to Congress, sing to them. I think, I think the world will It'll change. solve everything. I think Kim it solved my. I mean, it was my dream come true because then I got to channel my inner Lily Tomlin, who's my spirit animal, because. Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin. Um, it was magnificent. And I got to sing with Hilary Duff and Sutton Foster, which is <laughs> no one's dream. Mm. Peter, did you uh, get your own Dolly Parton moment? Will we get to see you belting any tunes in the new season? Uh, um, I, 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 I do it privately. Um, <laughs> to, you to think, every, but to, I, to everyone's I, I show up every now and then. Um, and uh, I, I do not belt a tune. I do, however... Do another thing. Special. You do another Something thing. Do another really thing. Special. I'll just can, say people, that. Like, listen. Can I get a hint about what that's is really special? That's, that's a hint. That, 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 it's just another thing. Okay. It's, not, it's not a thing that, that will that make not, people go, ah! A little. That's what I did when I found out I was doing you it. You did? So, yes, I went, ah! So, did you, like, um, find out about this for the first time when you were just reading through the script or what? Yeah, yes. that's how you're we like, find that's out about yeah, everything. By the way, conversation. Yes. I'm like, oh, so I sing 9 to 5 with Hillary Exactly. Foster. Good to know. I love and, that. Yeah. Yeah. And I read the script and I said, I'd do this other thing. Okay. Well, and, uh, I and mean. And you go, panic, it, panic, prepare. It's That's pretty magnificent. It I, I will say that. It's and things, you it's, were magnificent. Well, but the thing that you get to do with Sutton, it's. Okay. It's, well, I'm over here in the dark Sutton, about this. Right? So, yeah. but you you also don't know actually how the end of the season goes, right? Because you're still shooting. No, we just finished. Done. We just done. finished. So you do know how it ends. We and, do. But we found out at the, at the 11th hour. Yeah. Really, I mean, we're always the last. Well, also. That episode, the final episode, was set, and then it completely changed, changed. and then it completely changed again. So I was like, "Are they punking us? Like, are they trying? Are they messing with us?" Was that intended so that you wouldn't be able to predict exactly what was going to happen? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't <laughs> think so. Yeah, I think that they. I think we make. They, there's some. There's sometimes we think that they're more ahead of the story than they actually yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. So. No, they just were. I mean, they really, you know, kind of write to what's going on and how. 
how the story evolves as it's evolving. Mm. They're amazing writers. Mm. Well, Diana is a force of nature, your character, and you said that uh, playing her actually helped inspire you to ask to direct some episodes. You know, when you, so when you play someone who's unapologetically, who just doesn't apologize for their power and their capabilities, and that's not how I walk through the world. I apologize for, like, taking up space. If someone bumps into me, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm breathing. Um, so when, I, when you play something like that for, for a long time, it does, a character just kind of gets into you. It's like osmosis. And you, and so, yeah, I sort of started thinking, like, well, why don't I walk through the world, like, feeling confident about my capabilities? And also the conversation the world and this business was having at the time about women and their place in it. Mm-hmm. And, why they do or don't get certain jobs or do get to have power or don't get to have power. Yeah, all of that kind of came together and I I built up the courage to ask and was told yes. But it's funny because you say that you go through the world as someone who apologizes. I don't experience you that way. Oh, I'm sorry. You know? (laughs) Um. (laughs) I got that wrong. So there. But, 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 and I I will say as someone who who, as an actor who's been lucky enough to have been directed by Miriam, she is Absolutely fantastic. And He's I, and really I, and, hard to work with. And, and, I, and, I, and I said this, uh, you directed, your first shot was, yeah. first scene, first shot you directed was with Sutton and me. And, you know, the shot was over and you came over and you gave both of us a, a small note. And just instinctually, just actor's instinct, we just said, mm-hmm. great. Great. So will you be directing more this season? Well, I directed an episode, I directed an episode last season, an episode this season, and I, I love it. I think it's great. You're I think so it's, it's I, I enjoy it, and, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. challenging, and it's like, you know, putting together a giant puzzle. Mm. And I'm a nerd, so I love that. Well, <laughs> speaking of how uh, multifaceted you both are, Peter, you're also an author. You wrote the children's book, If the yeah. S in Moose Comes Loose. And I learned that back in the day you were a fact checker for Vanity Fair. I so, was. yes, yeah, so I got to ask you, uh, how accurate is Younger's portrayal of the publishing world? <laughs> um, I, I, will, I, will, I, will, I will say this, the, the process, there are, there are a lot of people in the publishing industry who watch the show and say that it is uh, uncannily accurate, that it is, that there is, that we reflect that world very well. There are a couple of things. Uh, they say that people in their office generally are not that well-dressed. Well, look, we <laughs> so, have so, Because they, they, they also yeah. don't have, you know, our, our wonderful... Yeah. Jackie uh, Demeterio. Jackie Demeterio styling them. Yeah. And when I go to HarperCollins, it is monastically quiet. It is like a monastery where, every, where everyone's kind of huddled over their desk. And we have these full-voice conversations in the middle of the bullpen. Nobody does that at a publishing house. I don't know. So, if, do people even have conversations in the world? anymore? Is everyone like, like I would be texting you. Yeah, conversation. Yeah. Hey, love and, your outfit and, today. And the process is much quicker on the show. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the, well, that's the publishing process is, yeah, is, is sort of glacially slow as, it move, as, as a book moves through the process. Mm. So. Well, I have to say, we here at AM2DM are also huge fans of your wife, Mariska, and you're both on the new People cover as well. Is there any chance she will ever do a guest role oh on Oh my Young God. Girl? And it, she would have to play my best friend. I'm sorry. It would just be mandated. I think think you just pitched that. I think you just pitched that. What I said in my mind came right out of my mouth. I want her to play a a writer who pitches something. Yes. And I want like a writer with an accent from some Yes. I think it'd be fantastic. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. happening. I don't know. How could that not happen? How could it not happen? Don't you feel like if Mariska was just like, 
I wish this to be so. The world's like, we'll do whatever we'll do we can. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We'll make it happen. Yes, we manifested that people cover today. We said we would like to be on the cover of people. That <laughs> you know, would be great Bing. if we were on That'd people. Nice. Bing. Bing. And there you happens. go. Well, I have to say, you know, in watching Younger and then also Law and Order, New York feels like such a character in both of yes. these shows. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that these shows happen in like the same universe as each other? Oh, wow. What an interesting question. That there could some yeah. at some point yes. there could be some like sort of the younger crime folks committee. are like, well, and then, the law and order people are uptown. There's the 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 author who comes in about the crime that this season who who oh. comes in. Oh, yeah, yeah, who is, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that could, get that could nice. totally. Oh, I'm sure they had that same because it's ripped from the headlines, and, and we, ours is ripped from the. From the byline, no, from, 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 from the head, from you know the, the titles. So in a, in, a, in a weird way, like they obviously Law and Order really does look at things that are happening in in, in the now, mm-hmm. nope. and as does our show in terms of like novels and and authors. Like we actually look at what authors are coming, and we sort of satirize that or use that as a jumping off point. So I see them in the same world. Just so Mariska and I can be best friends. <laughs> you're, you're, you're still, I think that we, we just we just need the dun dun. Um, <laughs> we need Please. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, then, and then the little the little thing about Charles Brooks' Ding. office thing. Oh, well, we listen. It'd be great. I could sit here for many more minutes oh, we're not uh, speculating about a, a nice crossover show, but we do have to leave it there. So thank you both Damn so it. much for joining me. Thank you and so much for having, us. for having us. And the season premiere of Younger is tonight at 10, 9 central on TV Land. Up next, Zach is talking about LGBT rights in Botswana. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Botswana's high court shut down colonial-era laws that made gay sex illegal. Joining me now from Botswana is brilliant Cody founder and editor Setabane. Hi, how are you? Hi. Good, and sorry, I think there's going to be a bit of delay, so we're going to make, we're going to roll with this. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, so you were in the courtroom when the judges made their decision. What was that moment like? It was so unreal. I mean, we've been dreaming about that moment for so long. And to see it happen was just, I mean, a shock, excitement, just a mixed emotions or like a mixed ball of emotions, I must say. So it was really, I don't know. I can't even come up with it, hey? Mm, and did you know this was going to happen yesterday? Um, well, 70%, I felt like it was going to happen. Um, and to see it happen was just, I guess, really unbelievable. But then my 30% was, I don't know, maybe just influenced by political reasons. But then 70%, yes, sure, I did see it happening. Mm, and did you ever personally think this would ever happen as a queer person? It was a dream. I mean, I always used to share this with my friends back in the days that uh, one day we're going to win this. But then it was so hard. I mean, We've been at this case for so for so long, but then finally it surfaced um, and we really did win. So yeah, I, I believe one day I used to dream of Abbott's way I am equal to heterosexuals. Mm. And before this was repealed, walk us through how the law impacted the lives of people like you in Botswana. Uh, before, I feel like before when same sex was criminalized, it was so easy for um, dis- discrimination to happen. It was so easy to be stigmatized. Um, and we really didn't have like the confidence to like stand our ground. 
because um, first thing that happens is someone will just say, first of all, you're illegal. But now those grounds don't 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 exist anymore. So, yeah. Mm. Just a few weeks ago, Kenya chose to uphold a similar colonial era anti-gay law. Do you feel hopeful that things are improving for queer people in Africa currently? I believe they are, but at a snail's pace, like it's quite slow and quite gradual. I sometimes wish it could be fastened because Africa needs to understand that homosexuals are Africans or Africa, uh, yes, really, homosexuals are Africans and we are part of the narrative, just that I believe that at one point our history was paused, but it's about time that gets resurfaced and uh, stories actually come back to life and people know who homosexuals are. Mm, knowing who homosexuals are. And that brings me to my this one question I really want to get in with you is that the student who brought the case was only 24 years old. And as a fellow 24-year-old, what is inspiring you about the LGBTQ community in Botswana right now? I believe that this new generation of queer Botswana, uh, we are ready to, to, to stand up and fight for our rights. Uh, we are so bold, we are so vocal, we are so ready to challenge. I mean, just even with uh, my portal that focuses on LGBT stories, I mean, before, before uh, same-sex was um, decriminalized, I mean, no one had the courage to actually just boldly want to share those stories. But I feel like this new generation of I don't know whether it's Generation X or Y. I was just so ready to change the narrative, and that's what I love. Mm. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning, and congratulations in Botswana. Thank you. Up next, you'll see Alex's conversation with the stars of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Stay tuned. I'm joined by Rachel Brazahan and Michael Zegan, two of the stars from the Emmy Award-winning show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Thank you so much for joining me and Thank welcome you. back. Thank you. Yes, it's good to be back. Wonderful. Well, I have to tell you, when I first saw this show, I was just shook because it reminded me so much of my family and my life as an East Coast Ashkenazi Jew here. In the 1950s. Cool. In the 1950s, exactly. <laughs> but it really, it, it felt like people I knew and the culture that I have known was really reflected to me in the show. So I want to know... I know you yourself are not Jewish, and I understand acting, but what was it like to step into this world? It's been really, really fun. I mean, we are time-traveling back to the 1950s. The, the scripts have been amazing. We have, I, I would say, the best cast in the biz. Um, I, I second that. <laughs> it's been an absolute blast. We really feel like we're time-traveling every day, mm -hmm. and especially when they, when they place all the background actors in the scenes oh, with yeah. us. It's been really, really fun. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you to do the show? Did you get any pressure from family or anything? No, they love it. I mean, I think it really hits home for my family because mm -hmm. I am Jewish, and I think, you know, my parents kind of grew up around that period of time. So, yeah, they love it. They yeah. love it. Well, I love the show, as I have made clear to you, I hope, but I do want to read this tweet from a fellow fan. So far in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, there seems to only be one thing Midge isn't obscenely, unabashedly amazing at, actually taking care of slash giving a shit about her children. Like, Where are they ever? <laughs> so this is a question we've seen uh, asked a lot. Yeah. What do you make of it? Is it just that like moms cannot catch a break no matter where they are and what the heck they're doing? Yeah, why don't they ask that about Joel? <laughs> yeah, they don't. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I do feel that way. They don't ask that about Joel. Most of the criticism in that regard has been leveled at Midge. And I suppose it's because the expectation is that he wouldn't be as present and wouldn't be uh, around as much. But 
you know, it's it's not a show really about Midge parenting. It's a show about Midge following her dream as a stand-up comedian. She's not parent of the year, but I appreciate as a woman, I mean, I don't have children, but I appreciate that this is a different kind of motherhood than the one I've seen. And and for some people, maybe this is a more accurate representation of it. I don't think she hates her children. I think she loves them very much. <laughs> yes. You know, that's something that people say a lot. But also this hasn't been a conversation that I've seen surrounding other shows with yeah. male leads who are also sometimes self-involved mm-hmm. uh, in their pursuit of a new dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's been kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, the children, I have to say, you both have posted Instagrams of the doll that you used ah, to oh play God. your yes. daughter, Esther. Yeah. And like, this doll is terrifying. <laughs> I think this doll is gonna like find me and haunt me in my dreams. There are, like, how do you act around that thing? There's well, a few of them. Yeah, we don't, we don't <laughs> typically use it um, when we're filming. It's usually just for rehearsals. Yeah. And actually, I would say that, that that doll is heavier than the actual so baby. So much heavier. It's like you're like lugging that thing around. Yeah, it's, it's not just scary. It's made it's of heavy. silicone. It has really gross orifices. It's sticky. It can, like, oh my it's god! Sticky. <laughs> like its head is sticky. Ew. Yeah. You can open its mouth and it like collects dust in there. Oh we put gosh. a few cigarettes in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are better parents. Than <laughs> true. Yeah. Season three is in production, and we know that Carrie Elwes of the Princess Bride fame is joining, as well as Sterling K. Brown. Can you tell us anything? Uh, Carrie Elwes was in Princess Bride. Thank you. Thank you. Sterling K. Brown is on a wonderful little show called This Is Us that some of us have seen. Okay, what if I, like, take a guess? Can you, like, blink twice if I'm, like, Columbia professor? I'm dying to know what you think. Maybe, uh, I was thinking, like, one of them is maybe a club manager, like, on your tour or something like that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was thinking like a love interest for Midge's mom, maybe. For what, is, what, mom? what about Tony Shalhoub? Oh, yeah. Maybe Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm intrigued. I'm just, I'm trying to get like any bits and pieces of information here. We can't say a word other than that. Well, no, I shouldn't say that either. But I, I have been fortunate <laughs> enough to shoot a couple days with Sterling and it's been a blast. He's amazing. And he's a really, really exciting addition to the show. They both are. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand that you actually, he came on the show after you talked to him on a red carpet. Like, how does that actually go from talking to somebody on a red carpet to then yeah. doing the show? Uh, I have no idea. I would love to know. <laughs> I think he, he just really wanted to be on the show. I think he he approached. Well, I really wanted him I mean, to be I mean, we all yeah. wanted him to be on the show. But like, you know, but he wanted to be on the show. Well, so. what I heard, which I didn't know, is that I, I had spoken to him a little bit. We'd met. We'd had a mutual love fest and, and that he'd also been talking to Amy and Dan. So yeah, yeah. I had meanwhile been running around saying, Sterling K. Brown should be on the show to whoever would listen. And Amy and Dan had been talking to him. And I had no idea he was joining the show actually until no, I, I, had I no said idea. something to Dan one day and he was like, well, you know, we're talking to Sterling. And I was like, And was very excited about that. Excellent. Well, you mentioned Amy and Dan. Um, Amy Sherman-Palladino, of course, is the beloved showrunner uh, of the show and, you know, formerly of Gilmore Girls. And I was reading an interview um, that you did with Billy Porter uh, Mm -hmm. in Variety, and you talked about how um, I think some of the background actors are dancers for the pacing of the show, that Amy has you speak really quickly with the Mm -hmm. characters. Um, How much of an impact do those, like, really detailed directions have? Um, are, are there any other things that she has you do that really kind of add to the sensibility of the show? I think those are two major parts of it. Pace. Yeah, pace, 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 pace. It's never fast enough. 
Um, Our scripts are like 90 pages at this point. Yeah. They've gotten longer. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're really, really long. So we have yeah. to talk even faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, pace is, is huge. And I mean, the whole thing is like a dance because, you know, we're, when we get to set, we don't really have much uh, rehearsal prior to, to shooting. So um, the whole, you know, the first 10 takes are really trying to figure out where the camera's going to be, where we're going to be. And, uh, and then, then pace. Once we figure it out, then, then she comes over. She's like, speed it up. Well, she likes to keep, she likes movement in all parts of the show. So one of the coolest things that I wish, I wish there were more videos. We should take a good one of Jim doing some of the craziest shots that he shoots. Mm -hmm. He's but one our, of the, our steady cam guy. Our steady cam operator, Jim McConkie, does some of the coolest shots and, and, and choreographs them so heavily with Amy. You know, I can't say what it is, but we did a shot that was almost nine pages long, I want to say, um, that involved Jim driving alongside Alex and I in a car. So they were driving alongside us. He had to get out of the car, holding the camera, walk backwards up a ramp across the stage and backwards down a second ramp and shoot this entire scene in a single take. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. And that helps make the whole show feel like it's mm. moving all the time in addition to all the... Or, um even when we did that, uh, the scene in the last episode last year where, uh, where I'm proposing to you. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. like, the, the camera, he was, he was walking backwards. Actually, that it was, was his, Larry. That was Larry, his yeah. brother. Jim, Jim and Larry, they're, they're the, the steady <laughs> the camera. The one the team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he, was, he was backing up and then hooked the camera up to the crane. Yeah. And then the he crane, ran like, at me with the camera, got oh, wow. this tight shot of uh -huh. me saying, yes, I yeah, yeah ran backwards with the camera, hooked it to a crane, and the crane went up and just it, as we started dancing. It looks seamless. Like, you would have no idea. That's amazing. I can barely walk from one set to the other in the studio without tripping over myself. <laughs> yeah. so yeah. <laughs> it's really something to hear about, you know, these folks doing that. But uh, I want to play a little game with you both. Uh, I have obviously been very effusive about this show and your work, but we here on Antidium are especially big fans of your co-star, Tony Shalhoub. Yes. I learned about a new term, the Shalhoubissance, which is apparently it's a thing. It's happening. We even did a whole man Crush Monday segment about him. So we wanted to play a game we're calling Tony or Baloney. And I'm oh. going to read, yes, I'm going to read a fact about Tony Shalhoub. And you have to tell us if it's true or false, <clears throat> but we have props, of okay. course. So oh, wow. you have these. If it is true, <laughs> you can show Happy Tony. <laughs> if it is baloney, you can show baloney this Tony. Sad baloney Tony. <laughs> so please, you each get one. Oh my gosh! And if you could Thank please you. just make sure that you hold it up wow. for the viewers so they can get a good look wow. at those faces. Okay. Okay. Are you ready to play? Yes. yes. Okay. So Tony or baloney? Okay. Tony Shalhoub is one fourth of the way to having an egot. One fourth. Tony or baloney? Uh, True yeah. or false? Oh, actually. So you have a false. False. Baloney. Baloney. That is correct. He is halfway there. He has a Tony for The Band's Visit and three Emmys for Monk. He was nominated for a Grammy for Best Spoken Word Album for Children for A Cricket in Times Square. Never knew that one. The talent. And I have to say, uh, speaking of all of these awards, um, the show itself has won, I think, eight Emmys. And, you know, Rachel, you've won several awards yourself. Um, when you go to these shows, like, is there anyone you ever still get a little bit starstruck by? Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have total imposter syndrome at these award show things. Sterling was a big one. I, yeah, I think I yeah. met Sterling either right before or during one of those things. Yeah, Lady Gaga walked by. Were you were you there at the I mean you were there, Did she but say were you, something you? No, she just walked by and I was like at the Golden Globes, you I know. know? <laughs> Craning my neck. Um, who yeah. else? 
Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Starstruck. All right. Well, well next like Tony. There. There, there you go. Next <laughs> Tony or Baloney question. Tony Shalhoub is one of eight children. Oh. I'm sorry, but uh, he's actually one of ten. Oh, I knew yeah, it was a lie. Yeah. I knew oh, it was God. a lie. Yeah. Okay, next one. He has a dog named Scoop. <laughs> yes. And Scoop I is Insta yes. famous now. <laughs> um, can we ever, well, yeah, will we ever get uh, Scoop in front of the camera, perhaps on the show? I don't know. Never say never. Never As say Scoop's never. As Scoop star rises, anything is possible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Here's another Tony Baloney. Monk held the record for the most watched scripted drama episode in cable television history from 2009 through 2012. I'll say yes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's true. We stand. And I got to ask, did either of you uh, watch Monk or were Tony Shalhoub fans before you started working with him? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not, okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> I love Tony. I, I just, I have not seen much of Monk, but yes, what? I know, I know. I, I, I it will, holds up I will, yeah. good. I'll catch up, although there's like 150 episodes. But, um, <laughs> but I, I worked at a movie theater um, when uh, Men in Black came out. And he get, he's the alien who gets his head blown off multiple times. Oh so that was my first yeah, introduction yeah. to Tony. I saw that movie a thousand times and, and I followed him ever since then. I was like, that guy is special. You're like, that yeah, he's going to be somebody someday. So. <laughs> yeah. He also never stops. I mean, I agree with the Shalubasans. He's he's doing the show. He did the band's visit, which was yes. so amazing. He's just, he's nonstop. He can't sit still. It's so inspiring. And he's so incredible in mm. everything. And the does. nicest guy. Yeah. Just the nicest guy. Mm. Well, I'm loving this Tony Shalub love fest happening. <laughs> yeah. I really can't thank you both enough for indulging me in this game. And also just for taking the time to sit with me and talk about thank the show. You. Oh, thank you. Thanks. And both seasons of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel are on Amazon Prime now. More AM to DM is up next. Welcome back, Twitter. Our producer, Rebecca Bisdale, tweeted this after Alex's sit-down with Miriam Shore and Peter Herman. Charles thing is a strip tease. I'm calling it now, and I'm excited. Oh, you know, girl, if he was strip teasing, I would be just glued to my camp, my TV all day long. Okay, so this tweet is actually in response to something big that apparently is going to happen yeah. in the new season of Younger. I tried as I was talking. You were to really Peter, pushing. I was like, please tell me, because they were both like, oh my goodness. Yeah. You know? But you did it with Rachel too. You you're really pushing the folks. I today. want to she know. She is trying to get the tea the for all of you me. out there. I am trying. <laughs> but I have to say, strip tease, I think that that's gotta be, be the so, one. He's so tall, y'all. Like, like, <laughs> sure. like he couldn't fit in this camera. Everyone was very taken. Yes. <laughs> well, Cini Martinez tweeted this after our conversation about Instagram influencers and their new destination. Chernobyl, you don't have to do it for the gram, a modern American PSA. Ooh. Say it that louder. Billboards. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you to our guests today, Lindsay Parks, Piper, Brandon Wolf, Brilliant Cody, Miriam Shore, Peter Herman, Michael Zegan, and Rachel Broshlahan. And we will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, so many good guests today. So good. Such a good time. You had like the most fun. I loved it. <laughs> yes, I did.